You're listening to Destination Country X, a KPMG tax radio podcast series. We cover key U.S. and foreign tax and trade developments that affect cross-border investment. I'm your host, Kim Major, a principal with Washington National Tax and tax industry lead for U.S. international corridors. We're glad you could join us. Enjoy the program. Over the last couple of years, Mexico has been tightening the reins on inbound investment, particularly between related parties. I'm not sure whether this comes as a surprise to U.S. investors, especially those who are used to enjoying the benefits of the USMCA, the Maquiladora program, etc. But the most recent tax reform put everyone on very clear notice that the landscape is indeed changing in Mexico. Joining me to discuss are Courtney Wallace, an international tax principal from our Detroit office, Alejandro Cervantes, head of transfer pricing and KPMG Mexico, and Carlos Perez Gomez, transfer pricing partner and head of tax controversy, also from KPMG Mexico. Thank you, Kim, and I am really excited for our conversation today. I get a lot of questions around Mexico transfer pricing, and really it is such a changing landscape for us. I think the latest step in this particular journey started with the termination of the Maquiladora APA program. Is that right? Totally. In the past, companies have the APA alternative or the safe harbor alternative. The safe harbor is a single calculation that consists on the 6.5 over total costs and expenses or 6.9 over total assets. This is the a minimum tax profit and it has to be applied to the higher of these two calculations. Uh, right now, Maquilabra companies are not allowed to continue using the APA as an alternative to comply with the transfer pricing regulations. We have some companies right now that had the opportunity to extend the APA until year 2024. But new companies that are starting operations in Mexico and are trying to search the best alternative right now, the only alternative is the safe harbor. It doesn't reflect the specific circumstances, economic and financial circumstances of the company and the industry or the multinational group. And I think the pricing is just the tip of the iceberg, right? The most important issue or concern for Maquilora companies and the related party, parties located abroad, is the permanent establishment assumption. Right now, and with the new travel pricing regulations, the only alternative uh, to comply and to avoid with this permanent establishment assumption for the related party located abroad is the safe harbor. Carlos. Wasn't there some question as to whether taxpayers with APA extensions to 2024 would get the benefit of the statutory PE protection? A lot of people ask if those APA's requests in 21 were going to cover the rollover years, the following years up to 24. And there isn't a clear formal statement by the tax administration, but they informally noticed that those APAs asked in 21 were going to be covered until 24, and the PA status as well was going to be on the safe zone. So I think it's not 
on a formal legislation, but it was clarified by the tax administration that there is no risk if you would ask for an APA in 21 that would cover until 24. Okay. Okay. Of course, they need to get the APA probably during 2022 or mostly in 2023. Until that time, they are covered with the APA application, but we have to get the APA. It really is quite fundamental, this change, isn't it? It it seems we had so many manufacturers sitting in the Midwest who primarily would go in with the Maquila Dora program. Now they really need to think about what is the best way for them to have manufacturing in Mexico, don't they? Totally. That's the name of the game right now in Mexico for manufacturing companies, Kearney. It is, do I want to continue working under the Maquilaura program or do I want to move as a tall manufacturing company? Maquilaura companies have a very specific regulations in Mexico, not only for pricing, for tax purposes and customs, but they are not allowed to have sales in Mexico. Most of the assets used for the maquilada service or the maquilada activity is owned by the related party located abroad. So they don't pay a VIT for the importation. And those are the most important benefits of working under the Maquila program. On the other side, of course, for transportation purposes, you have to apply right now the safe harbor, uh, that it is very, very expensive in terms of income tax and in terms of profit sharing, at least for a Mexican standpoint. If you are a toll manufacturer or a complete manufacturer, you are allowed to have assets in Mexico in a big proportion. You are allowed to make sales in Mexico. There are VAT implications, there are tax implications, and you are not forced to apply the safe harbor. You are going to use and follow the general transfer pricing regulation that consists on the elaboration of a transfer pricing story. Of course, we have to take into consideration the permanent establishment assumption. If there is a this exposure, how can we minimize this within the same economic analysis on the transaction story, or if we want to avoid 100%. And so we are right now, again, working with different clients that already have a McLaura company in Mexico that have started asking what is the main benefit of continuing using the McLaura program. It is a very important situation because in Mexico we have more than probably 2,500 companies working on the Demaquilada program. So it is a big issue for Maquilada company here in Mexico. I think we see the biggest round of activities where we have folks who are either doing an M&A transaction or already planning to either expand or change their profile in Mexico. Mm-hmm. And it's not easy, is it? Because like you said, they have contracts that are likely in place on both sides of the manufacturing process and then sale of the goods. And like you mentioned, VAT, trade and customs, all of those end up being implicated. So it is a very deep dive into your supply chain with Mexico in order to get to the right answer. And I guess if you were to shift to simple manufacturing from Aquiladora, you'd have to transfer the ownership of assets some assets, maybe a lot of assets, down to the Mexican manufacturing company, right? Which means that depending on how you do it, you're while you're going to take depreciation deductions, things like that, in Mexico, right? 
you may still have to pay an outbound royalty, I guess, depending on whether you transferred into the IP. You probably are not going to do outbound transfers of IP from the U.S. because you get an inbound royalty no matter what, I think, under 367D. You may or may not have the deductions subject to the deduction disallowance rules, but you have to balance that. I guess, for tax purposes against the possibility that you're going to have an increased services payment into a higher tax jurisdiction anyway. Totally. That's the analysis. There are a lot of things that are part of the equation. Assets, VAT, taxes, profit sharing, permanent establishment, et cetera, et cetera. And you have to compare what is the best alternative for you. So potentially really big swing on that manufacturing part of the supply chain now, right, Kim? And then I got to manage where am I from a guilty, fitty, beat perspective with regard to my flow of payments, right, from a U.S. perspective to think about what other BEPS considerations I might have. I have to manage the new PE risk. There's so many, I think, different things that can fundamentally change how that manufacturing operation is going to make money or not for the company. Part of the squeeze is that in going from the higher tax jurisdiction to becoming the lower tax jurisdiction post-tax reform, you're also sitting there going, okay, well, I had an exception to subpart F and now I don't have an exception to deferral. Now I'm excess foreign tax credits and then I've got guilty. So I'm even more excess foreign tax credits because of the haircut And so that has triggered considerations of checking the box if you have a first-tier Makila company. Right. And I think that for some, that can make a lot of sense because what they can then do is otherwise work through the rules, both from a branch perspective and a manufacturing rule perspective, to be the manufacturer for U.S. purposes Mm -hmm. and get themselves into 863B for sourcing so that they can create some more foreign source income relative to the sale of those goods because they can't qualify otherwise as manufacturer. Yeah, but it is complicated. Absolutely. Yeah, not an easy book. So you have to see where you are, make sure that expenses and income are making its way into the appropriate baskets and such. So I guess then that triggers the conversation as to whether you should actually think about changing your principal location. Yeah. Absolutely. And many clients that we have have done that or have done that previously, right? Or are contemplating it again. Certainly, as we see European headquarters, perhaps for manufacturing, so that a principal in the foreign jurisdiction makes sense. I think where some have otherwise moved it strictly for tax planning purposes and don't have appropriate activities, now that's coming back to bite them. Not having substance in a principal is going to maybe bite you even further because if you recall the deduction disallowance rules caught cogs as well. So if you have a foreign principal that owns the finished goods that then sells those goods back into a Mexican distribution entity, the payment of the purchase price or the cogs is going to get caught unless you meet that 22.5% effective tax rate or you have substance in the payee. That was an issue that a number of of clients got caught on the wrong side of there, right? So certainly ensuring that you work your way through the Mexican side of the rules and don't lose your COGS deduction is a huge point to make sure we don't lose sight of. 
I thought I heard some rumors that the IRS and SAT may discuss possibilities for a future APA program for the Maquilas. I know just whispers, but that would be pretty helpful to some of my U.S. clients if that were true. I would assume that that would happen, right? I mean, I would assume that the IRS isn't going to be very happy if there's a relatively high deduction coming out of the United States based on safe harbors that were established in the 1990s. They're clearly out of date. I would think that the U.S. would have been happier with the APAs establishing a lower transfer price. So there's going to be pressure on the system, at least from the U.S. side, to reach an agreement. Totally and absolutely clean. The most important thing that this bilateral negotiation between the IRS and the Mexican Tax Authority to solve and negotiate more than 700 APAs, specifically for macular companies, were a successful bilateral negotiations. So I think this could happen. Carlos was the one in charge of the bilateral negotiations in the beginning, the famous fast track methodologies. Yes, Alex. Well, thank you. Um, <laughs> I don't know how to, what to say. I think it was regarded this negotiation of the QMA, the Qualified Maquila Approach, was seen as a success by both tax jurisdictions when we were dealing with more than 700 unilateral APAs, where more than 90% of those APAs were with a U.S. principal. The QMA is no more than another agreed formula. It was just another uh, way of finding on the facts of the maquila companies, the industries where they developed a practical, but also arm's length position. It was also published by both authorities that this QMA formula was in line with the arm's length principle. So I don't know why the QMA is not being extended as part of the discussion, but I think maybe this could be an option for the safe harbor, which as Kim mentioned, was negotiated in the 90s. So it's clearly not up to date. I find it actually kind of ironic because one of the recent changes was to have comparable analysis done on a contemporaneous basis, right? So you have to use data from the year of the filing, and that's going to put a lot of pressure in terms of timing to get that data because sometimes the data simply isn't available until after the filing would be due. But there's so much pressure to get much more contemporaneous data when the safe harbors themselves are literally from the last century. <laughs> yeah, and then we have other issues as well coming from the tax reform last year. Mainly, the Mexican government is imposing more documentation requirements for domestic control transactions. Mm -hmm. We have the informative tax return now obliged the uh, domestic transaction as well, the TP study, and other informative tax returns being mandatory for domestic transactions. I gather, though, talking to clients that it wasn't, as a practical matter, unexpected. Yeah, I think substantially there was not a real change because the interpretation before was also that domestic transactions would need to have transfer pricing documentation as well. But mm -hmm. now, since this reform was leaded by the tax administration, they made sure this was totally clear for taxpayers. 
that they are obliged to have the TP study. And the new obligation is now that they have the informative tax return as being mandatory, where, whereas before they didn't. And do you have to do a functional analysis for both the taxpayer as well as a foreign or even domestic counterparty? Well, just for Mexican tax purposes, I think this is like a really special emphasis that the Mexican tax administration is putting on since the Action 13 was implemented in the Mexican legislation. And that was an emphasis on the secondary regulations, but also as part of the informative tax return instructions. So that was put to a new level with the tax reform by clarifying in the tax law that taxpayers would have to also bring some basic financial data from the counterparty, whether this counterparty is a domestic party or a foreign party, which is a really revolution because a lot of companies struggle to find this information from their counterparties as well. But I think it's all trying to be explained by the tax administration in the frame of the selection of the tested party within the OECD guidelines. Okay, but since the OECD guidelines had been referenced prior, presumably the functional analysis for the counterparty has been fair game, right? Yes, but I think companies didn't have that clear that they should provide strong information from the counterparty beyond like a really simplistic reference that the counterparty, it is a more complex counterparty or that there isn't any factual financial evidence that the counterparty should be the tested party. Got it. Mexico is one of those jurisdictions where you actually have to file your local files with the government and not just keep it in the drawer and ready. That's totally correct, Kim. (laughs) And I think that's because the Mexican tax administration wants everything in-house to be ready to implement an audit to the taxpayers. As you remember, before this change on the Mexican regulations, the taxpayers were only obliged to obtain and and have the TP study as part of the accounting Mm -hmm. records. But now they have to provide it if they have income above a certain threshold, which is around $40 million. So they have to put this document electronically on the SAT website. And the Mexican Tax Administration, consequently, would have everything to be ready to audit you in the time they wish. So I have to assume that life in the Mexican tax controversy space isn't exactly easing up nowadays. Well, mainly the tax administration is focusing on tax payments. I mean, like they're measuring the tax margins by economic sector. Even they have publicized some economic activities where they have a certain threshold which they have established a certain risk. This is nothing like a direct audit or something, but they are focusing a lot on the uh, margins that the companies are reporting. So it there is companies with losses, like recurring losses or even a loss in one year 
or a minimum margin, I think they will be on the scope of the tax administration. And if they have transfer pricing transactions, the tax administration would focus on the deduction side of the transactions, because as you may know, there's a lot of requisites in the Mexican domestic part of the legislation where they go really deep on, on issues like economic substance on the uh, correct accounting reporting of transactions and they are really strict on what they find. And of course, on transfer pricing aspects, they want to have each and every formality. And if they don't find each and every formality, they would, at a first option, try to deny the deduction. Are folks seeing a denial of deductions for payments made to shared services centers? that are outside of Mexico. We've been hearing a little bit about that from other jurisdictions. Yeah, we have an article in the Mexican income tax law, which comes from the 50s, which says that pro rata expenses are not deductible. So we have a big problem when we have an expense being allocated to Mexico because this article would block their deduction. In many of the audits, there is one or a few intercompany transactions that have this type of pattern. It's really common. So, Carlos, when you say pro rata allocations, I would assume it's pro rata based on either number of affiliates or pro rata in terms of your proportionate share of global revenue or whatnot, right? Yeah, this is correct, Him. So what we have to do in these cases, be really careful in how we document the transaction as a intercompany service and comply with all the other requisites that the OECD TIPA guidance has as well. And just to wrap up, when I say intercompany services, I mean that the service has a margin because when the tax administration finds that this cost is having a margin, then I think it reflects on the possibility of deduction. Yeah, I think we had that issue too in the beat area where things that were just quote unquote reimbursements because folks were paying a margin, it then, you know, turned into an intercompany revenue or an intercompany fee and suddenly you had to have a transfer pricing analysis done where you had a lot of taxpayers just sitting there going, wait a minute, first, why do I have to have a transfer pricing analysis done? It's just a reimbursement. And second, it's just a reimbursement. So why do I have an intercompany amount that is subject to beat? Yeah, it's going back and just making sure that we're defining our payments appropriately, right? Some of the common law rules still apply, so we can work through some of those to make sure we've got our payments characterized appropriately. Sounds like Mexico, we need to do something similar here. One last thing, Kim. There is a specific focus on this controversy space on DEMPI expenses in Mexico. And that's not only an audit trend, but also an identification exercise by the tax administration within the informative tax return. But in particular, I think companies ought to be conscious that 
the Mexican tax administration is focusing a lot of audit efforts on those distribution companies which have some relevant DEMPI expenses, in particular AMP expenses, and those related to promotion and publicity as well. And that's a big risk in, in the national landscape camp nowadays. All right. So as we started off by observing, the last several years has seen a bit of a change in the Mexican landscape with respect to inbound investment, with the Mexican government tightening down the hatches a little bit. And now taxpayers who had thought that Mexico was a sure thing starting to rethink. Is this the paradigmatic Mexican standoff? I guess we'll have to see. In the meantime, be good. Stay well. We'll speak again soon. You've been listening to Destination Country X. Thanks so much for tuning in. We look forward to speaking to you next time.